Good morning, listeners, and welcome to another episode of Real World Talks with Lourdes, Natalie, and Kathy. Good morning, ladies. Good morning. Good morning. On today's episode, we have Joy Rothschild, who is the Chief Human Resources Officer of Omni Hotels and Resorts. Good morning, Joy. Good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. We truly appreciate it and value your time. Thank you. So to start off, um, can you share with us your background and what led you to a career in human resources at Omni Hotels and Resorts? Yes, so I, I had a kind of a strange um, journey into HR. I um, went to a hospitality program in the Northeast and I had been offered a job that I campaigned very hard for with um, Weston Hotels at the time, which eventually became Starwood and it's now Marriott. And I was looking forward to that job, which was a year long management training program and operations. And a, um, a company that had one hotel in New Orleans um, was recruiting at my college and they had announced they were hiring the first woman ever to work in this very, very famous New Orleans restaurant as a maitre d'. And they came to school in a Rolls Royce. I'd never seen one before in my life. And they were going to select one woman. They selected me and um, I took the job against the advice of all of my professors and advisors. And I moved to New Orleans and I was in food and beverage. And, and after a month, I realized I had made a very big mistake. I, I didn't love operations. I didn't really have any career prospects. Once I got there, I'm in one restaurant as, the, as a major D in training. And I, it was like, you're going to be the major D next and that's your career. So I had called um, a chain that had previously offered me a role. And I said, would you ever consider me again? And they said, yes, but you're going into the training program. So I flew to New York, started my training program, and I realized about three months in, um, I was not the best customer-facing person. I, I had a hard time when guests were argumentative. I, I sometimes argued back. Um, it was just, it wasn't the right spot. And eventually my rotation took me into human resources and I felt like I found my home. I loved helping the employees. I, I felt I could do a lot of good there. And I actually called the company and I said, I'm in human resources now as part of my rotation and, and I'm not finishing the training. I really didn't know a lot about corporate protocol. <laughs> and they flew down to meet with me to basically tell me you have to finish the training. And the director of HR said, she's a natural in HR. You really should keep her, keep her there. So I never really picked HR. I fell upon it because I didn't love being in the front of the house, but it, it's actually turned into my lifelong passion. Thank you, Joy, so much for sharing that. I almost, I kind of giggle a little bit when you're saying that you didn't try to like the, you know, front office, more operation guest service side and you're like, okay, maybe not. And you argue back a little bit because I always tell students, I'm like this weird person that I like with like 
guests are angry and then all could be crazy. And I'm like, yeah, I just internalize and I, I don't argue with them back. And in my mind, I'm like, okay, this is what they're saying. But we tell our students, it's really good to try out different things because then you kind of get to see more what you like. And then sometimes through that exploration, you find another area that you end up like falling in love with. So thank you so much for sharing that. Um, now we do have a lot of students um, and it's becoming a little bit more popular that you know, really are getting this interest in going into human resources. Um, what characteristics, knowledge and skills do you believe are needed to be successful um, with to work in the human resources department? So that's a great question. And I need to say up front, when I was in college, there was no human resources. There was one class about organizational behavior, but human as a career was not presented to you. And so I, I think it's marvelous that, that you all have this track. I think resources, um, first of all, for any job, you need to be passionate about it. You have to love it because you're going to spend a lot of time in it. Empathy in HR. You need to you need to be someone that is approachable, also someone that cares about others. You need to have a backbone because there are going to be people that you love that are either going to need to be reprimanded or counseled or terminated. You're going have to protect the company at times, which means you're going to have to make um, unpopular decisions. So, so you need to have a backbone. You need to be patient. And I would say you need to be intellectually curious because when I HR, you know, you had federal labor laws, but you didn't have to have today, which is and local jurisdictions and local ordinances. And, you know, in, in light of COVID, the CDC says something and your state may say something, but your city may say something. So you've got to be intellectually curious to keep up with the ever changing landscape of what it's like to be an employer. Fantastic. Those are great um, characteristics and skills that you've shared with us. Now, um, I know you've been in the industry um, for a while, and I wanted to know, looking back, what do you wish you would have known prior to pursuing a career in HR or just getting into HR? So, first of all, I wish I was bilingual because, you know, I took Spanish and French in high school. I didn't pursue it in college a very large percentage of, of a hotel's workforce, not English as a first language. So we do a lot of translations. You know, when I worked in certain markets, I, I picked up a lot of Spanish because I was working in those markets, but I wished I had a second language that I was conversing in and I could write in. I also wish I had known how technical it is. And, you know, I when I first got into HR, and again, this is 40 years ago, you were really kind of the person that made everybody feel good and you, you looked out for people's careers and you sold the company to future, you know, employees. But there's such a technical piece to HR in terms of compliance and, knowing the laws and making sure that 
your documentation will pass a reasonable person test. And there's a lot of technicalities that go into an HR career. And, and I would say HR and finance are the two hotel disciplines where you constantly need to be going to seminars, listening to webinars, keeping current on laws. And, and I think people don't realize how much technical expertise is, is um, a factor in, in HR today. I agree. Thank you so much for, for sharing that, Joy. Um, so my question to you would be, um, what do you see as a major event, trend, or change that will alter HR within the next five years? Well, it's happening right now. I think COVID-19 has completely changed HR. And, and here's how. Every hospitality company had major furloughs and terminations. And now people are traveling. And I was actually on a call two days ago with all of the CEOs and chief HR officers of all the brands. And the majority of us are severely understaffed. And it's a couple of reasons. One is the hotel industry has gotten away with a low wage rate for a long time. And when COVID-19 happened and, and we let people go, they went to grocery stores and Target and Costco and Walmart and Amazon, where they're making at least $15 an hour. And so I think the wage structure has permanently changed for the hotel industry. I also think the hotel industry, and, and, and I'm putting myself and my company in this bucket, we were very traditional about shifts. You know, you had to work eight to four or seven to three or four to 11. We didn't have short shifts. We didn't have gig workers. Um, we didn't have shifts that were accommodating to mothers. And so I think another thing that has happened to people with COVID is they've gone to other companies and seen there's a different way of working. They also, you know, I think there is a, a fear about the hotel industry because so many people were put on the street. I don't want to go back there because what if this happens again? And so the entire industry is grappling with a labor shortage, the likes of which we have never seen. And I think that's going to change HR forever because I think, and I know we're, we're trying to come up with unique strategies right now. How do, you, how do you attract people back to an industry that maybe didn't treat them very well? How do you change your pay structure to get these people back. And then if you're going to pay a room attendant 15 or 17 or $18 an hour, what does that mean for an entry level college graduate salary? Because you can't pay them the same thing. And so I, I think wages, I think your employer value proposition and how well you take care of people has been forever altered by COVID. And, and, and I'll tell you, we did a pulse survey in October and 
our employees, you know, so we had 22,000 employees and then we went down to 1800 when we closed all our hotels. Now we're back up to about 8,000 and, and I've got 2000 openings, but we did a survey of the people that were with us and they said, you treated the people you furloughed better than you treated us. You know, we can't take time off because there's so much left and we're all working around the clock and we're depressed because our coworkers left and, you know, we're doing lots of jobs we weren't qualified to do. And so I, I think it's just caused us all to hit the reset button and say, who do we want to be as an employer and, and what does that look like? And, and we're going through that soul searching right now. Thank you, Joy, so much for sharing that. Um, as you were speaking, I was like shaking my head because, um, you know, Lourdes and I, our background uh, was in human resources. And it's funny because while I was working here and I was reaching back to my old team, I share something with my old boss. And I was like, you know, I kept saying, I'm, we're working with different partners and we're also seeing what's competitive and what our students are going to. And I was like, you know, I'm like, just a little suggestion. I'm like, you probably need to start kind of, you know, bringing up a little bit of some of these entry level, um, you know, hourly uh, wages. And I said, because, you know, when you're starting to see where other companies and they're even outside the traditional hospitality sector, what they're starting off with, you know, I think we should kind of start being competitive. She's like, I know, I know. And I was like, yeah, it's because our students are looking at a lot of components where they're thinking of careers. So, and I think that also when the pandemic hit, like you said, a lot of our um, students or our alumni and people from the industry, they stepped out and a lot of them may be fearful to come back in. So thank you for sharing that with us. Um, kind of switching over to like in leadership, um, how do you deal with challenges effectively within the team that you are leading? You know, I think, um, first of all, this sounds so simple, but I, I have people that do this and people that don't. I'm a manager whose door is always open. And I have some leaders on my team whose door is always closed. And I try to coach them not to do that because first of all, there's an approachability factor. And second of all, you can observe a lot when your door's open and you see who's walking by and who's smiling and who looked like they just cried. And I think you have to be tuned to your team. I also think you need to help your team see what's good in each other. And you know, a good example, I have two women leaders on my team. They're very high up. They both report to me. One is extremely technical and, and she's She's very process driven, very technical, very efficient. She's a workhorse. The other one is what I would call a cultural warrior. She helps people develop their careers. She counsels people who maybe have conflict at work. She helps people that are struggling. She reaches out to people when they're sick. And that's a lot of what our culture is, is that we're putting our arms around you as a family. And so I've got one that doesn't do any of that. And I've got one that's technical. And I recently, and I didn't really feel like they were gelling. And I went to, I'm like, look, you know, 
you, you, the technical woman, you need to have more empathy and leadership and be more connected to your people. That's a skill you can learn from the world that has it. Now, the other one, I said, I don't expect you to be able to talk about wage arbitrage to a, you know, a, an outsourcer in India. I don't expect you to have that skill, but I expect you to expect it in her. And Omni means both. And so try to find ways to learn from each other, and appreciate each other, rather than, hey, well, why doesn't she do this? Or why doesn't she do that? I my job to make sure that we all rise and fall together and that we all appreciate what might be different in each other because it's a lot of different talents to create an effective team. And the first thing would be that we're all one way. You only have one dimension of HR and, and you have to have both. Fantastic, fantastic. So um, thank you for saying your, sharing your insight. Since we're on the topic of leaders, as a female, female leader, have you ever experienced a significant barrier in your career? Hmm. Well, <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, I, I, I have to answer it this way. And I mean years. I was the only woman in the room. There's still times when I'm the only woman in the room. I always looked at that as a challenge. I also am confident in my abilities, but I think that can be very daunting if you lack confidence in yourself. And there have been many times I, you know, I used to be uncomfortable to do public speaking. I used to be uncomfortable in, um, you know, I would say challenging people. I wanted everyone to like me. You know, I think with age that goes, that goes away. But I learned very early on. And so if I could find a way to collaborate with you and make you feel that HR cared about your issues, I could win you over. Now, and that, and that meant a few things. It meant being confident in what I did. It meant leaving my comfort zone. So for me to go to the CFO and say, I noticed this and I think I could help you with this. Do you want my help? Um, Constantly learning about the business. If I didn't know something about the people or I didn't understand something about revenue management, I would go to people privately and say, can you explain this to me? But I was constantly trying to um, educate myself on how to be a better partner with my team. Now, that sounds like I never had any problems, and that's not true. I have always been somebody that was very attuned to how you are treated. And I had to have many talks in my career with people. And I had this week with somebody where I said, you know, 
in a non-emotional way, even though it made me angry, I said, you know, I'm in a room with you and a couple of other people. You're always asking the men what they think. You are not asking me what I think. I have just as much to add. I think it's disrespectful and I'm not going to allow you to denigrate my position. The person at first said, I didn't even realize I was doing that, but I pulled out some examples. They were enlightened and they saw it. And so I think there are barriers to women. There are barriers to people of color. I think, you know, corporate America is still predominantly white males at the tops of companies. But I think it's part of my job to represent women and to pull women along and to bad behavior when I see it. And, and honestly, the person I have to talk to this week, it's not yet really do it to women. He does it to certain men too. But, you know, I said, you do that. There's people in this room that will never tell you that you're doing that to them, but I'm not going to be one of those people. I'm going to speak my truth. And I can, I can do it because I can't sleep at night if I don't let someone treat me well. And even if it doesn't change tomorrow, and it may not change tomorrow, and even if I don't have the talk again, I feel really good because I had the talk. And I have had to have many of those talks. I do feel a barrier to, to certain people, be it women or minorities, is once you feel marginalized, and, and if you don't address you could get very discouraged and say, you know what, maybe this isn't the company for me. I'm going to go somewhere different, but it's going to be everywhere. So you have to have a backbone to do it in a nice and respectful way, but do not allow your race or your gender or, or anything to be. And, and the way you do that is to be technically competent and make sure that the golden rule is alive and well in your company. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing, Joy. Um, so I have a background in HR, as Kathy has mentioned. And a lot of times um, I've been told um, to be successful, it's always good to continue to grow and have knowledge in this type of field and just continue educating yourself. So with that being said, what advice would you give to the next generation of female leaders? So I would say it is really important to network. And that means, you know, you join the AHNLA, you join the local human resource association, you join SHRM, and you go to those meetings and those conferences because A, you learn what other people are doing. B, it will make you feel good. You will come out of there and say, you know what? There's some things my company does I'm really proud of and, and we're ahead of the curve in this. And there's other things we're lacking and we've got to move forward in this certain direction. So I think you just learn from other companies 
I also think a great value I bring as an executive, and, and this is especially in the world of labor relations, you know, union, union deals are, are critical because decisions you make in union negotiations affect your company for years. If you negotiate a certain thing at a certain property, that affects that property for years, whether it's a work rule, a pension contribution, whatever. And it's really important for me and my role to go back to my, my owners and my bosses and say, I've talked to Marriott Hilton Hyatt, you know, IHG, here's how they're handling this issue. Here's how I think we could handle it better. Or here's how I think we need to agree to this because they have and there's no way around it. But you can't operate in a vacuum. And so I think networking is incredibly important. Another reason it is important is because to this day, the most important thing I do in my job is to bring talent into this company. I'm not but I consider myself a full-time recruiter because the only thing that makes Omni better is talent and talent that can grow and talent that fits our culture and talent that will perpetuate the culture. And by networking, you'll be able to spot talent. I would also tell you by networking, if God forbid you're ever the victim of, of, uh, a layoff or a furlough, you're connected. And um, this is kind of a funny story, but the way I met Diane Newman in your program, I worked for Omni for 18 years. I joined them out of college, you know, after that one little stint, I worked my way up to the vice president of HR and the company got bought and 45 of the top people got fired, including me. And I was the first person to get a job and I got a job with Carnival and I moved to Miami and that's when I met Diane. The reason I was the first person to get a job was not that I had the greatest resume or I was the greatest executive, I had the best network. So I, I could make phone calls, I knew where to send my resume. I was hitting the ground running the afternoon I got fired. Now, lo and behold, who knew that two years later they would beg me to come back? And I've been here ever since. But networking is something you cannot start early enough and, and you need to keep it up. Thank you, Joyce, so much for sharing those great advice and, and tips. And I love that story of how you met um, Dean Newman. Um, and you really you know, hit the nail in because we talked to our students about the importance of networking. And you said it, like it's never too early to start. And we tell them, don't wait till like you're about to graduate and then start now hit going on LinkedIn and clicking. You should really be starting that, you know, from the beginning. So thank you so much for sharing that. Um, now you did mention something earlier about, you know, uh, barriers and, you know, there's a, a, a big area right now that is really focusing on, you know, diversity and, and equity and inclusion. Um, within companies and a lot of, you know, uh, corporations are really trying to focus on that and, and, and showing that. How do you think that we can still continue to advance this area of diversity and equity and inclusion specifically within our industry? Um, because, you know, you, you can still see that there is a gap, especially when you're looking at, you know, between general manager, general managers and also, you know, executive leadership positions. Yeah, that that is a, that is a great question. And it's a very hot topic. 
I will tell you in my own company, the majority of the company is women and the majority of the company is minority. But when you look at the top of the company, you would not know that. And so we launched a DEI council and um, our president said, I need to make a statement that this is important. So he's actually the chair of, of the council. And we had a meeting and, and first of all, we, we, we picked people from different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different levels of the organization. And we met for two days and we all cried in that meeting. Even the president of Omni cried. And it was hearing people's different experiences in life. And, you know, I, one of our directors of food and beverage who lives in Atlanta, who's very successful. He lives in Buckhead, which is a wealthy community. He's like, I still get stopped in my community, driving my Mercedes, being asked what I'm doing there. And it, it's hard to imagine what that feels like and how you pick yourself up from that. So I, you know, we did a lot of listening. And one of the main things I took out of that meeting was, if I can see it, I can be it. They said, if we look in the company and see people that look like us high up, we know we have a pathway. And we have to create that pathway in our industry. And, and so what have we done? Um, first, we took three of our leaders and, and we put them into the McKinsey Black Leadership Academy because we don't exactly know that we're the best people to, to tell Tell others, how do you do this? So we sent people to this academy to, to help us learn. We're in the process of um, creating a formal mentorship program for diverse employees to move their careers forward. We just integrated, and this sounds so stupid, but you know we've got hundreds of different ethnicities at Omni and, you know, we learned from our Mexican employees in Texas, like Cinco de Mayo, it, it's like a white person's holiday for Mexicans. It's a real holiday, like it's insulting. And so we don't know these things. So we just integrated and we actually rolled it out yesterday. We have um, integrated a diversity calendar into our Microsoft Outlook. So all these diverse celebrations and holidays are gonna populate on everybody's calendar and Omni. So we can learn more about them. We are recruiting more at, at HBCUs, but I, I think, you know, we have to change the paradigm of what pond you're fishing in. You know, I, I tell executives, I'm in Dallas, Texas. We have SMU, which is literally two miles down the street from us. It's predominantly white, wealthy kids. And if we are going to keep recruiting there, we're going to get that kid. We have to fish in ponds that have diverse populations. And there's plenty around us. You know, I'm on the board at University of North Texas, a very diverse school. There's UT Dallas, a very diverse school. We have to start looking at where diversity is and where can we find more diversity and, and pull up that into the company. 
I'm not optimistic that there's lots of diverse C-level executives in the hotel industry that I can steal from. I don't think that's the answer. I think the answer is to populate my company with diversity at the middle management level and grow those careers over the next 10 and 15 years. Joey, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, really, really, truly, it's great to see, you know, how yourself and your company, you know, are really are, are moving this, uh, or continuing this movement, but really focusing on diversity and equity um, in so many different areas, whether it's in leadership or also within cultural um, holidays and, and so forth like that. So I, I'm so glad that you're sharing that with us. Now, um, this question here is always dear, and, and to, dear to me because the ladies um, know that um, I'm a mom, I have two little small kids, um, and I always joke around I'm like, ah, oh, this whole work life and everything balance is still trying to be a great mom or trying to be. Um, how do you prioritize your goals and desires in life? You know, this whole work life balance, but still definitely still working and achieving your, your personal and professional goals. So um, I love this question. You know, early in my career, all I did was work. My friends were going skiing, I worked. People were doing stuff on weekends, I worked. 33 years old, I was a vice president of a major hotel chain and I didn't have a boyfriend. I, all my friends were getting married um, and I just poured myself into my job. And, and then I started saying, this is, I don't wanna just, work for the rest of my life and not have a well-funded life. And so I started to travel more and things that I liked more. And I got married in my late 30s and I had children in my early 40s. And I would say, you know, the industry was not that kind to mothers when I came up in it. I think that is extremely different. I would say, as the mother of two college kids, I always put my family first. And luckily, my company evolved um, to the point where I could go boss and say, I'm the mystery reader at school today, so I'm leaving at 2 o'clock. Or I'm working in the cafeteria this month, so every Friday I'm coming in late. I just started to say, I'm doing this. That not the easiest thing to do, but it's a thing to do. And I have made a big deal recently. COVID, a lot of people's offices shut. And I told our CFO this. I said, you are a feminist and you don't even know. Because any Zoom call that he was on, where he had an infant and a two-year-old on his lap, trying to go through financials with us. And, you know, the fact that you did that tells women it's okay to do that. And even though I can tell women it's okay to do that, it's different when it's you. And so I to um, instill in women, you have got to put your family first because you will always regret it. And, and I'm really glad I did that. And there were times I didn't feel like I did that. Um, and... I had a, a really great thing happen um, to me last or two summers ago. The company had a, a, a 
intimate dinner with some top exec families in my family to because I had reached a service milestone. And owner of the company said to my 21-year-old son, he said, I want to thank you because your mother, we were away from you a lot. And I want to thank you for that because I'm sure that was hard. And my son said, no. He said, if you did that, I never knew it. He said, she was at everything. She never missed every anything. And that's the kind of mom you need to be because the work is not going to care, but your kids are going to care. And so I want, you know, there's a graduation or I got to move my daughter into college. I'm sorry, I can't go to that board meeting. And people need to do that. So, Lourdes, I would tell you, put your kids first, then put yourself next because... <laughs> Nobody's going to put you next except you. So, and, and I have plenty of guys saying, I've got to run out and go work out. Right, now. I'm coming in late because I have a golf game. Well, you got to do that too. Then your job, and you got to do a good job. And yes, sometimes I, you know, when my kids were little, I'd put them to bed and I do email at 9.30 at night and I didn't want to be doing that, but you got to make sacrifices. I, I don't think you're ever going to be in balance. Mm-hmm. I think there's some days you're going to be the mother of the year and there's some days you're going to be executive of the year and they're not going to be the same days. But as long as you know your priorities are, that's what matters. Thank awesome, you, Joy. Awesome. Me, Kathy, that has the kids. The other two ladies, they just hear me sometimes crying and trying to be a, I tell them a decent mom, so thank you. <laughs> you're a great mom, I'm sure. Uh, thank you so well, much. I would also say this. My daughter... I, I live in a community where not many women work. And a lot of people, when, when my kids were in elementary school, they would say, your husband's a doctor. Why do you work? You don't need to work. I'm like, I love work. I, I, I enjoy working. I, I don't need to work. I love to work. And my daughter is very career oriented and she is a go-getter and wants to have a career and 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 I think that's your job is and you know what if she wanted to stay home and be a, a, a homemaker I'm I'm happy with that too but I'm happy that she got to see there's options. Yeah yes I agree so thank you for sharing that information sacrifices and putting your family first. So we're just going to switch it up just a little bit. We love to get to know our guests um, personally in addition to professionally. So my question is, what are your top three favorite movies of all time and why? Okay, this, this is kind of embarrassing, but, and I have probably <laughs> 50 times. Whenever The Devil Wears Prada is on, I watch it. So, and I can probably <laughs> recite every line. And I think it's such a great um, story about what not to do at work. And, and it's not only Meryl Streep, it's the snooty administrative assistant and it's the girl that kind of looks like a frump and it's, you know, getting over Stanley Tucci's career. Like there's so many work lessons in that movie. I mean, I watch it for fun, but I also, watch it for 
oh my God, never be this person at work. So I, that would be one. Two, um, I love the Shawshank Redemption. I think it says so much about humanity and how prison humanized people and doing what's right. And I just, I love that movie. Like that movie has stayed with me. And I think the other movie, I've always liked it. I had to do a paper on it in college, believe it or not. And, and it's another movie, whenever it's on, which is not that often, I watch it and, and it's Casablanca. And it's just, there's so many great lines that people still say today that they don't really realize it, it came from that movie. And I, I just, I love, I love that movie. Love the Devil Wears Prada. <laughs> so <laughs> that you have amazing taste in movies. Um, <laughs> so, when it's on, and my husband's like, How many times have you seen this movie? I'm like, Leave me alone. I love it. I am the same way. My favorite movie is actually The Birdcage. So um, yes. <laughs> I watch that movie over and over, and my husband is like, Lourdes, like, how many times are you going to, like, watch Robin Williams and Nathan Lane, like, say these lines? And I'm like, they're my favorite. I love them. <laughs> yes. So thank you for sharing. Um, and so to close off the podcast, um, who is your favorite musical artist and why? You know what? It's Bruno Mars. I love old R&B. And he has somehow managed to be contemporary and a throwback at the same time. And I, I just think he's a great entertainer. And, you know, just when I think he's talked himself, he just came out with something, I, I don't know if it's called Silk Sonic or something like that with Anderson Pack. It's like from when I was growing up and, you know, you had the Supremes and the Temptations and the Four Talks, but it's still contemporary. So I would have to say Bruno Mars. I love Bruno Mars too. He's fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Joy. We really appreciate it. This was so insightful and it was amazing learning about your background, your experiences, and just a little bit more about HR and your realm. So thank you so much for sharing those insights with us. Well, it's really been my pleasure. And I would say to anyone listening, if you want an HR career, I think Omni's a fabulous company for that because we really care about it. We really care about our culture and the culture starts here. And so I would encourage, whether it's an internship or you're graduating, I would hope you would put us in your consideration set for an HR career. Absolutely. So if we have any listeners or students who are interested, let's say, in a career with Omni, what is the best way for them to kind of share that they are interested? Is there a link or a website that they can go to to visit or how would that uh, work? They can always go on omnihotels.com slash careers. However, I have someone named Lexi Coley, and I'm going to tell you her email. She is specifically focused on college internships and college graduates. And she would be the person to apply to. And her email is L-C-O-L-E-Y at omnihotels.com. 
And her name is Lexi, L-E-X-Y. That is perfect. Thank you so much. Just in case we have any listeners who would like to reach out and just learn a little bit more about Omni or perhaps share their interest in working for the brand. So thank you so much for sharing. Okay. Thank you. Have a good day. You too, Joy. Thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for tuning in and tune in next week for another episode of Real World Talks. Have a wonderful day.